0: I've said it a million times before, but I'll say it again, man, I love being a turtle. The other thing I often say is that nobody puts on a big show like the UFC. When there's a huge title fight, it's near incomparable what they are able to do with the product. The hype is just through the roof. Their marketing machine is truly unbeatable, but that doesn't always guarantee that these hugely anticipated championship bouts will be any good in the actual cage. Sometimes they are a massive letdown, the feeling compounded by just how huge the fight felt going in. And so today we'll be taking a look back at the big time belt matches that in one way or another, left us feeling dissatisfied with how they played out. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are the 10 most anticlimactic title fights in UFC history. Number 10, Tyron Woodley versus Steven Thompson 2. UFC 205 was a huge deal if you don't remember. The promotion had finally defeated a bunch of organized chefs to get MMA into New York, and this was to be their first big show. Right there in the mecca of combat sports, Madison Square Garden, headlined by the biggest star in the history of the entire sport, Coming off a couple massively popular fights with Nathan Diaz. The notorious but it was another fight that stole the show, at least in terms of competitiveness. Obviously, the night belonged to the Irish guy who beat the lightweight champion with his arms literally behind his back. But Tyron Woodley and Steven Thompson had an absolute bang fest, that's probably not a great word I just made up, as the co-main event. And after the dust had settled, it was ruled a draw. So with the fight truly unresolved and so good the first time around, you knew they were gonna do it again as soon as they could. And sure enough, at UFC 209, the rematch would take place. The hype was very simple. Remember the first time these two guys fought? It'll probably be just as good. But unfortunately, what we got instead was one of the most boring and anticlimactic fights in the history of championship bouts. When three rounds of a fight have single-digit significant strikes, you know you've got a real snoozer, especially when there was but one takedown all fight. Now, T-Wood did score a knockdown in the fifth, but it was too late by that point. This was just a whole lot of nothing, as both guys essentially canceled each other out for 25 minutes. The champ would retain via majority decision, and the two would never meet again for the sake of all mankind. Number nine, Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Romero. Coming into 2020, Israel Adesanya was on fire. Not literally, that would have been bad. After beating the legendary Spider Goat to kick off his 2019 campaign, Izzy had an all-time banger with Kelvin Gastelum and then shocked the World Shockmaster style maybe a little better when he KO'd Sir Bobbert Knuckles for the middleweight strap. Even better, Monster Man Yoel Romero was going to be next. Surely this fight would be one of the most epic in middleweight title fight history. The build was a lot of fun. There was some good trash talk. It felt like these guys were really going in there to prove a point, and what a huge feather in a cap full of them at that point for Stylebender, if he could in similar fashion to Whitaker, put away God Soldier. It was hype on hype on hype, but unfortunately when it finally went down at UFC 248, everybody did an Elsa, just frozen in place, no action. It was like a moderately intense sparring session instead of a world title fight. Ah. uh... uh. To put it in perspective, Izzy landed more significant strikes against Paulo Costa in his next defense, and that fight ended in the second round. The only fight that went to the cards that Romero landed less in his UFC career was against Brad Tavares, but that was a three-rounder and it was only nine strikes less. And no, it wasn't grappling heavy, there was zero seconds of control time in the whole fight. Sadly, the MMA On Point crew was there in person, what a huge letdown this one was. Number 8. Henry Cejudo versus TJ Dillashaw What could be more hyped up than the first First time the UFC would ever put on a card for the worldwide leader in sports, ESPN. Who even thought that would ever happen? Not me. Hey, look at us. Look at us. Who would have thought? not me. And to headline the show, they had a super fight, no less. If you recall in this whole mess of a storyline, TJ Dillashaw, the serpent himself, wanted to go down to 125 and take Goat Mouse's title, but DJ didn't want to play those games and was eventually dethroned by, at the time, single C, Henry Cejudo. Johnson was then traded to the San Antonio Spurs for Mano Ginobili, renewing interest by Dillashaw in a flyweight super fight. And so the two were scheduled for UFC 233, but that event got cancelled because the UFC had a better idea. Let's use that fight to headline our first show with our new broadcast partner on their streaming platform, ESPN+. Plus. What more could you want? I'll tell you what more, something that went longer than 32 seconds. Double C would put away Dillashaw with a TKO right quick with the assistance of a horrible weight cut. To make this one all the more anticlimactic, TJ would get caught EPOing it up, so even if he'd won or it was a good fight, the results wouldn't have mattered, much like our lives. Sorry, I just finished watching True Detective Season 1 again. But yeah, this big showdown was a big letdown. Number 7. John Jones versus Cyril Gahn. Hey, it's the thing that happened recently. How could the hype not have been huge for this one? I mean, John Jones, arguably the greatest fighter in the history of people beating the shit out of each other, a man you can only feel strongly about either way, returning to the cage after three long years, years we all spent miserably surviving the pandy, and not at light heavyweight to fight whoever was champion that week. No, JBJ hulked up and bulked up and said, I'm coming for the unfortunately vacant heavyweight strap, and I'm gonna do so against Steve Amira. I mean, serial gone, or as John likes to call him, serial gone. It was one of the most highly anticipated returns in MMA history, and the questions about what a heavyweight John Jones might look like were answered. Kinda, we only got to see two minutes and 11 total significant strikes before JBJ easily took down Big France and subbed him with very little effort needed. All that hype and all that build, and all we got was two minutes. To quote Teddy KGB, I feel so unsatisfied. Number six, Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo though. While this might be a controversial entry on the list because of how massive the moment was, I mean, we're talking about a guy KOing the greatest featherweight in the history of the sport, one of the best champions of all time in any division in just 13 seconds with a single shot, it was undoubtedly one of the most spectacular things anybody's ever seen in their whole lives, like the Aurora Borealis or some shit, and it cemented the mythology of Mr. McGregor. Do you remember the build-up to this fight? If you don't, I envy you because it was exhausting. They had a whole world tour. There were these fancy... Expensive commercials. It was like three times the hype of a normal big card. And then on Fight Week, Aldo had to pull out. He broke his fucking rib. Oh my god. So what happens now? So they had to do the whole build again after Connor beat Chad Mendez for the interim title. But now the hype was even more over the top because of that. And so it was just this huge thing that everybody fully expected to be awesome. And it was in a sense. But in the other, we didn't even see a fight. You paid 60 bucks for 13 seconds. Jose Aldo, the king of Rio himself, he didn't do a damn thing. The one strike he landed hit after he was already out cold. It just felt like with the build we got, we deserved a real fight. Which isn't to take anything away from Connor, everybody should be aiming to win in 13 seconds. I mean, that's the dream. But much like John Jones, we just didn't get to see a lot and worse yet, we never saw a rematch. So it just ended in both incredible fashion as an all-time moment, but also was a bit of a bummer. Number five, Kane Velasquez versus Junior Dos Santos. What is it with the UFC and the headlining title fights for their first shows with new television partners? I'll tell you this much. If the UFC ever leaves ESPN and goes to, I don't know, Tubi or some shit, that first main event bet your entire life's savings on the under one and a half. Actually, put it on the under half because the fight isn't going past a minute. I remember very distinctly where I was when I watched Cain Velasquez versus Junior Dos Santos. I say headline, but it was really the only fight. It was an hour-long special with Fox Sports introducing MMA to the masses, if you will, and then they would also show the heavyweight title fight. It was a pretty genius setup, really, and the UFC being on network television, of course, this was a huge deal. Everybody was hyped up about this thing, and so was America, as it turns out, because the fight saw 8.8 million viewers. Oh my God the largest audience for MMA in the U.S. ever still. I was at a bar. My family was having some sort of gathering there that was of some importance. They put Fox on one of the TVs and so I got to watch the fight. A minute in, JDS hits that big old shot and it's over. My family was like, oh, is that it? That's UFC? No, mom, it's not UFC, okay? A lot of times fights are more interesting than that. With all that build, there was probably never going to be a good enough fight on this event and at least we got a spectacular knockout. But yeah, a big old dud in terms of showcase Facing the sport for the masses. Number four, Ronda Rousey versus Kat Zingano. Could Ronda Rousey beat Floyd Mayweather in an MMA bout or a street fight? Some scenario where Floyd would have to do something other than box? That was the question. That was the hot ass topic, tearing families apart in the mid 2010s. Joe Rogan talked about it on his podcast with North Korean dictator Kim Jong Un. So that kind of sets the stage here for the hype levels of Ronda Rousey in early 2015. Your presence is amazing the attention you, you pay to the moment like makes my life so much more fun right now. All right. This is getting really creepy for me, you two. I'm gonna step over here. She was 10-0. and she just KO'd her last two opponents. She was coming up on her fifth title defense, but really her sixth if you took it back to strike force. And up to that point, pretty much nobody had a prayer against the rowdy one. But that was about to change because Kat Singano was coming to town to fuck her whole shit up. She was meant to coach tough alongside Ronda after breaking Misha Tate's face, but a knee injury sidelined her and she was unable to do the show. Following a TKO win of over Amanda Nunez that has aged like the finest of French wines, Kat was finally given her shot, and it was seen as the greatest threat to Rousey's reign so far. Unfortunately though, Zingano would rush in and find herself in a straight arm bar just 14 seconds into the fight. You just felt horrible for Kat, especially given Holly Holmes' eventual dethroning of Rousey, because it's not a stretch to say that Zingano could have absolutely done the same thing potentially, but that's not how it went down, and instead we got the fight equivalent of one of those snake fireworks. I mean, it's cool, but eh. Number three, George St. Pierre versus Nick Diaz. In a way, much of Nick Diaz's UFC career was anticlimactic, but that's really more a testament to how hyped and beloved he was as a fighter. It's just that none of his fights really delivered. BJ Penn was undoubtedly a great fight, but fans of Stockton's first son were frustrated by his bout with Carlos Condit, Diaz 125, as well as the weird fight he had with Anderson Silva, where the spider cried super hard afterwards and then tested positive for a couple no-no chemicals. But the most disappointing, the most was his fight with the greatest welterweight of all time, George St. Pierre. Given that people wanted to see this fight the moment Nick was signed, and we had to wait nearly two years, with all kinds of different delays, was enough to build this one up a ton. There was so much hype for UFC 158. As a result, the event would do just shy of a million buys. GSP and Diaz, they were like oil and water, such great foils to each other in terms of personality and even in the cage. Everything about this had the makings of an all-time classic, and everybody, at least least everybody who didn't actually have a rooting interest was hoping for a real back and forth battle. But what we got instead was GSP controlling a very frustrated Diaz for the vast majority of its 25 minute runtime, winning all five rounds on all three judges' cards, all that heat and all that smoke, and nothing really came of the fight. Nick, you were right, the UFC did sell us Wolf tickets. Number two, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. UFC 251 was one of the most hyped up cards that's ever existed, and in order to understand why you have to remember what was going on. It was the first Fight Island card. Everybody was jacked to see this mythical place. Was it going to be like Shang Tsung's Island in Mortal Kombat? As it turns out, no, but we were hyped anyway. Welterweight champion Kamaru Usman, who had previously had his jaw-breaking slugfest with Maga Man and earned cred with the fans, he would be headlining the show against Super Necessary himself on super short notice, Jorge Masvidal, who was coming off the hottest year that anybody has ever had besides Connors 2016. Street Jesus was going to hop on a plane, eat some pizza, and kick the shit out of the welterweight champion. But that's not exactly what happened. After all the hype after the most unbelievable 2019, the fight was really just wholly uncompetitive. And unlike Usman's previous outing, he leaned heavily into his grappling and those little grappling punches to coast to an easy decision win. Their unnecessary rematch would be pretty awesome, but the big hyped up showdown on the island of fight was really not anywhere near what anybody was hoping for. Number 1. Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman too. Really, this middleweight championship rivalry between Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva has never been fulfilling because there's always been some sort of caveat. Don't get me wrong, the Chris absolutely deserves his flowers for that iconic KO of the Spider in their first encounter at UFC 162. But as Joe Rogan famously exclaimed after the result, you can't play games in the octagon. The narrative was already about how Silva was goofing too much in the lead up to that KO, and if he'd been more serious, maybe the fight would have gone differently. Forget the fact that he pretty much been a goober in his whole run in the UFC, the caveat had been created and the hype for the rematch was through the fucking roof. While I sat alone at home watching their first fight, I had family I didn't even know were related to me showing up for UFC 168. It was the biggest of deals in late 2013, one of the most anticipated rematches in the history of the sport. And while round one was a good indicator of what was probably going to play out, because of the infamous leg break by Silva in the second, we'll never know. The ending just felt so wrong and so Many ways. He did it with his own kick. I mean, what kind of fight ends with a leg break? As it would turn out, a bunch of them, but at the time, it just left everyone feeling like we got no real resolution, and sadly, they never had a third fight. You know what's not sad though? The incredible editing in this video by Luke Taylor. Please follow him on his socials and tell him Tommy sent you. Follow Ben Rosette as well. You know the guy brings the tunes. Go tell him you love him. Like and subscribe to hear me say George Neal again, and be sure to leave a comment about what title fights really let you you down. Thanks for watching guys, I will catch you on a memj.